0: 1977. You don't even remember that. And for those of you who don't realize it, I'm a dinosaur. You already knew it, but now we all know it, and it's out front, okay? And so in 1977, I had just asked my wife to marry me. And that week, at the end of the week, we were at a wedding. It was her cousin's wedding. We didn't get married that fast. And so we were at her cousin's wedding, and I was supposed to sing, and her sister was going to go with me back down to Tampa, Florida, and we were driving through the night... Of course, she had that 20 boxes of shoes and all that stuff in the trunk. And we're in North Florida, and I say to Sandra, can you drive a little farther? She said, I'm getting really sleepy. Of course, I'd been sleeping. You know, I'd fallen asleep. And so Sandra is driving the car in North Florida, and all of a sudden, bam! Left side is wiped out. I mean, both tires are flat. Frame is bent. And the first words out of her mouth were, Daddy! Now, why was that? Why, after falling asleep at the wheel, would that precious young lady of about 18 years of age call out for her daddy? It's because he had been her protector. He had been her provider. He had been the one who had loved her and cared for her and nurtured her all her life. And so the very first word out of her mouth when she woke up after impact was daddy. Would your daughter say that for you men? Right after impact, would her first thought be my dad? What are her thoughts about you as a dad? I have two girls. What would they think about? How would they remember me? And so I'm asking us tonight, have we perhaps fallen asleep at the wheel as men? Have we not really been focused on our driving, but rather have been in cruise control. And we're just kind of drifting along. You know, God's going to hold us to a very high standard as husbands and as fathers. And we're going to look at some resolutions at the end of the lesson that I hope that you'll take very, very seriously. A lot of folks are concerned about our country. They were concerned about the country 400 years before Jesus showed up too. And what was announced that would happen is that God would come and God would turn hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And if that doesn't happen, there's going to be a curse all over this land. And and so, regardless of who may end up in the White House, what's important is who is leading your house. And so we want to think about that tonight. And one one gentleman said, "Oh, you know, kind of burn their britches. You know, give them the fire." I said, "Well, they need encouragement too." <laughs> and for those of us who have reared our children and now have to live with the results, sometimes that can be a very, very painful thing. And we don't wish to heap pain on anybody, but we do seek to try to challenge these young men to be the kind of men that are going to lead their families to God. So that's our focus. We're after you. We're not after your grandpa. And you can be critical of your dad and your grandpa all night long. There's not going to change a thing about what you choose to do with your life. So I hope you'll give that some consideration. And I want to remind all of us that it's really never too late to start. It's never too late to start being what God wants us to be. I'm reading a book called Extreme Grandparenting. You know, whatever I've done is pretty well done as far as my girls who are in their 30s now. But you know what I got some little got a little brood of five little grandchildren maybe I can have an impact for good in their life and so it's never too late to start and past failure doesn't have to mean future failure we can be chain breakers maybe you are like me and had a grandpa who was a really good man and had a grandpa who was a really bad man Maybe you have a dad who's abusive, who's just on your case all the time. Maybe you've got parents who just are not at all what God wishes they were. But you don't have to imitate that pattern. I had diametrically opposed choices when it came to grandfathers. I had to choose. And so do you. It's never too late to start. I can grow. I can become the man God wants me to be. I can be successful as a man, as a husband, perhaps as a father and grandfather but having said that i want us to be reminded that you don't have to be a a husband or a father to be a great man of god in fact as you start thinking about these guys in first corinthians chapter 7 and the present distress and and paul saying i wish you had the gift that i have and he's counseling and he's encouraging people not to get married due to a present distress he is encouraging men and women to celebrate their singleness but you know what we do When folks come into College View and they come in in their mid-twenties and they're single, first thing we think about it, who can we fix them up with? You know, obviously there's something wrong with you, so we need to cure that. Well, it could just be that young people are okay with being young people and being single. In fact, there's a lot of really good things that single people can do that those of us who are married can't. So if you're married, celebrate it. If you're not married, rejoice in the fact that God gives you opportunities. Please be advised, I recognize that it is lonely. But there's a lot of things that young people can do for God. And you kind of think about some guys. Was Barnabas married? I don't know. Doesn't ever tell me. Paul, pretty sure he wasn't. Timothy, was he ever married? Titus, ever read about his wife? No. And when you get to Acts 20 and verse 4, you got that whole list of guys that seem to traipse around all over the countryside with Paul. They may not have been married either. Aren't we thankful for those people? And so let's not pressure young people to make a choice that they're not ready to make that's not in their best interest nor in the best interest of the kingdom. And so as we think about those things, we recognize that whether we're married or not, whether we have children or not, we're wanting to invite you to take on this challenge. And so as we think about the power that a father has, my dad's dead now, mom's dead, Went to their grave just a few weeks ago, back in West Virginia. But when somebody asked me, tell me about your dad, I might be getting as emotional as Steve Newton here, getting all choked up. I love my dad, and I miss him every day. But you know, there's some people, when you say, tell me about your dad, they're just tears in their eyes. And it's not tears of joy, it's not tears of, oh, I'm so thankful to have a dad, like, it's tears of, My dad's always been cruel. My dad's always been selfish. He's always been self-absorbed. He's all about himself, all about his success, all about his sports, all about his women, all about his drinking, all about his pornography. That's all my dad ever thinks about. And so there's a lot of pain. There's a lot to be said when you ask a young person, tell me about your dad. And so there's tremendous opportunity here. What dad said, how he treated them, things he modeled for them. This tells us a window of why we might be thinking and acting the way we are. What does my dad really think about me? That's really the question, isn't it? And and for at least the last generation, we've struggled to know when does a boy become a man. It used to be there were certain rites of passage. The Indians had rites of passage. The Caucasians had rites of passage, age 16, age 18, age 21. You've done this, you've done this, you've accomplished this. Now you're a man. There are a lot of men, 30, 40, 50 years old, who are still waiting for their father to tell them, you're a man. There needs to be a progression, there needs to be a demarcation that says, now you are a man. What does that look like? And so we have lots of needs there. Raising Modern Day Knights by Robert Lewis really helps us to walk through the page, the squire, and the knighthood characteristics of what manliness should look like. And we need to give some consideration to that. We all long for the approval of our dad. And so as we consider those things, many people spend a lifetime seeking that approval and trying to fill it with the voids of their life. And so bitterness toward our father just produces bitterness towards our other relationships. So there needs to be some intentional fathering. 1 Timothy chapter 5 reminds us that whether we're children or grandchildren, please take a note of that young folks, that grandchildren have a responsibility to care for their older parents and obviously grandparents. I know the King James says nephews there. But we're looking at family responsibilities, and children need to be taught to serve their grandparents, not simply grandparents serving their grandchildren. That's an obligation, that's a privilege, that's a responsibility. And please note in First Timothy 5, verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially his own family, his own household, he's done what? He's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Did you notice I used the male pronoun? But the actual original language says, if anyone does not provide. King James, I think, says if a man does not provide for his family. But actually there's an obligation for men, but there's also an obligation for women. We all have an obligation for family, but men, have we stepped up? Are we caring for our parents? Are we caring for our grandparents? I have a mother-in-law who's dear to me. She's been a servant of the Lord for 78 years. She has bone cancer. And she's planning to come and live with us. How do I feel about that? Am I going to welcome her? Am I going to provide for her? Am I going to make it easy for her? She's been a devoted widow for 25 years. Serving the Lord's people. She fits all of the criteria there in First Timothy chapter 5. Whose obligation is it to care for Doris Chapman? It's her children and her grandchildren and those of us who are in-laws. We have an obligation. We have a responsibility. And it's a privilege to serve Will we step up. And so we need training to provide. Young people need training to be able to provide for themselves and for their families. Skilled trades, professions... Can I say something to those of you and I live around academia somewhat on campuses? When people's toilet is plugged, they will pay to flush. Now, if you don't understand what I'm telling you guys, there is a great benefit and value to being a plumber, a carpenter, an electrician. Not everybody has to do keyboards to have an honorable living. And so, whatever you need to do, whether it's digging a ditch, whether it's baling the hay, whatever it needs to do, as long as it's honorable, we need to do it to the Lord's glory and do it to the best of our ability. Because we work for the Lord. And so, as we think about those things, we need those traits. And I want to commend all the fathers who work to provide for their families. There are men who are working tonight. They work second or they work third shift. I grew up with shift work. Dad was on one shift one week and another shift the next week and another shift the next week. We didn't ever know when to be quiet. But he was working. And on Sunday morning after he'd worked all night, Saturday night, he was in the assembly. You think his head nodded once in a while? It sure did. But he was there. And he was providing for our family. And so you men, when you're working hard and you've come tonight even after working a long day and you women who've worked hard all day, You are to be commended because you're working to the glory of God and to the benefit of your family. And children, please, say thank you to parents who are working hard to put food on the table. Those are things that God wants men and women to do for His cause. But so many times fathers have lost a vision of what it means to be a man. And so we cannot communicate what we do not know. The current generation is looking for what it means to be a man. really good series by Dennis Rainey called Stepping Up. It's a video series so men don't have to read the book. You can just watch the video. And it's a really helpful thing for us to think about. And he goes on to say, Society is guiding boys to remain boys into their 30s while forcing girls to become women long before they're ready. Two teenagers, the Harris brothers, wrote a book called Do Hard Things. Great book for teens and their parents to read together. And looks at what men used to do in their teens. In fact, it even tells us, I think it's correct, I have not checked, but it tells us that before the 1940s there was no such thing as a teenager. That Reader's Digest introduced that word into our culture. Before that time, at age 12, you either went to work Or you went on to college. There was no such thing as teenagers where you spend an extra seven or eight years just kind of goofing off. And so now we have, and I've seen it over and over, we have so many boys in men's bodies who they spend nights, late nights, and it's just video game after video game with booming speakers. And they wake up at noon the next day and are trying to figure out what's going on in the world. And they're living in mama's basement. We need to be men, and we need to step up, and we need to start working and providing for ourselves. Another thing that's kind of interesting is to walk through a cemetery. And this is a stereotypical state. I encourage you to go through cemeteries. Uh, maybe Monday night wouldn't be too cool, but maybe it would. But just kind of scope out all of the dates. And what you'll notice over and over is that in most cases, the guy's older than the girl ever wonder why the guy would be older than the girl because when the young man came and said hey i want to marry your daughter he said how many cattle you have you got a cabin for her? you got running water you got an outhouse ready and he had to have saved and worked and provided those things he had to be ready to take a wife into his home so guess what he had to work a few years to be ready to do that i'm not saying we're doing that in fact i'm Didn't do that. I married an older woman, a year older than me. But we had savings to start with. And so as you think about that, think about, am I ready to provide for a family? You know, guess what? Sometimes after you get married, the baby's coming within nine or ten months. Ooh, we didn't plan that. But it happens. Are we prepared to provide for that precious child? So let's do some hard things. Young women are looking for men only to find boys who want privileges, but no responsibility. And women are giving away themselves only to find young men who are willing to sleep with them, live off of them, with no covenant and no commitment. Instead of growing up, providing first for oneself, and then saving to provide for a wife and subsequent children, young men are remaining emotionally and directionally dependent upon their mothers while becoming addicted to entertainment, pornography, and video games. Surely that's not the case with you young men, but I see it all the time. Young women are prostituting or giving themselves away to any young man who displays affection or lust. And this is due in large part to the lack of proper affection and nurturing from a loving father. So what's the missing piece? What's the missing piece? Well, the missing piece... Is what we find. I hear of a guy named Tony Dungy? He was a coach. He tragically lost his son. He does a blog. He has a website called All Pro Dads. He's worked with a lot of folks who are in prison, and he talks about the missing piece in almost every case with those who are incarcerated. Is dad was absent. Physically absent fathers are destructive. Prisoners, drug users, dropouts, runaways, and rapists, they share something in common. The overwhelming majority of them come from homes without a father. Fatherless homes produce more than half of all youth suicides, as well as a majority of kids with behavior disorders. Kids are 20 times more likely to end up in prison if their dad is not involved in their lives. It's from a breakout Publication by John Stone Street. So God has a special place. He has a special place for orphans. Edgar Guest, 50 years ago, wrote about orphans of the living. I think, if I've got my stats correct, about 40% of children in America today wake up in the morning to go to school without a dad in the home, without their physical, biological father being there. You want to know what's wrong with America? Dad's falling asleep at the wheel. And so as we think about that, the greatest thing we can do for the kingdom of Christ and the greatest thing we can do for our country is to be the kinds of families that God wants that honor Him first. And so fatherless children and widows have something in common. The most important man in leadership in their lives is gone. And as we think about the challenges there, we think about the various factors that debilitate families. One, and I don't mean this with any intention of pain, I'm still seeing a woman who got up and walked out and just tearfully. I said something back a few months ago in presenting similar information, and I said so many times parents wimp out, and she came out with tear tear streaming. She said, I didn't wimp out. And for those of you who may be victims of divorce, I do not in any way seek to heap any more pain in your life. I'm not accusing you of being a wimp, but you may well be a victim. But divorce is so destructive to the children. This this lie that says, oh, we'll get a divorce because it'll be better for the children. No, it's always better for the children for mom and dad to love God and love each other. That's what's better for the children. Illegitimate birth, where children are born to parents who are not married, and that has rampantly grown. And divorce are the two greatest factors that steal children from their fathers. Of course, my mind comes to the images of young men that I've worked with for the last 35 years. And I think about young men who they got to doing the math and they figured out mom and dad had me before they were married. Did they ever love me? Or was I just some accident or mistake that they had to try to cover up? Children carry those burdens to their grave. The absolute best thing for kids to see is to see their parents humble themselves, repent of their selfishness, forgive one another, and recommit to their marriage. That's a challenge for us. Another challenge that we have in our culture today is our work and our work ethic. Fathers used to work at home in a trade, and they taught their son how to do the blacksmithing. They taught their son how to pour the concrete. They taught their son how to wire the house. When the Industrial Revolution has swept father away from home, we have to reserve some energy to give the best of ourselves to our wives and children. And dads, I understand when you come home and you want to crash and you want to chill, you want to open the paper, or you just want to cruise through the news. But you know what? You're not the only one who's been working all day. That mother of that two-year-old and that two-month-old, she has been dealing with slop all day long. She has been puked on, she has been slobbered over, she has cleaned up all kinds of messes on the floor, and she is a little bit tired too. And you don't think your wife works, you just let her be sick for a month, have surgery, and you take care of all the childhood needs, and you will change your tune about whether your wife works or not. And so work can just take us away from our children. Another thing that we're challenged with is there's so many entertainment choices. Many men spend more time, not so much on TV anymore, you can record that, but on the Internet, rather than meaningful conversation with their wife and children. There's the gadgets, there's the movies, and especially the video games that are so convenient. And the media makes Dad look like a bumbling buffoon. He is just an absolute idiot. He doesn't know how to do anything. And I ask you dads, when that kind of trash is being put on the screen and your kids have their earbuds and they're listening to that, who's letting them listen to that? Who is allowing your children to be told that my dad's a blooming idiot? Wake up, dad. The media is not dad-friendly. dad friendly and so we need to be involved in the media of our children. Parents who just hand their children. And I see other young men who are just cry. Lafayette, Alabama, Tennessee, doesn't matter I'm Colorado, doesn't matter where I've been. I see young men who say, I just wish my dad would take my phone away at night. I just wish my dad would not let me have TV in my bedroom. I just wish my parents would take out the Internet because their children are being bitten by the poisonous snake of pornography night after night after night, and the kids are defiled. And they're just pleading with a dad who would stand up and say, we're shutting it down. We're not having it. We're going to do without it. But you know why dads won't do that? It's because in many cases, dads are addicted too. And that's why they won't shut off the media that's killing their boys. And it's not just killing the boys, is it girls? And we can become just as victim to Instagram, to Twitter, and to Facebook as we can to pornographic sites. And they destroy us. A man who is going to be responsible for his family is going to say, that has got to die. I don't know about you. If Are you okay with a copperhead? I shot one up on the Copperhead Ridge not long ago. You okay with a copperhead just kind of crawling around in your house at night? I mean, he's only going to bite once in a while. You okay with that? I don't know about you, but I don't go to sleep until the snake's dead. You know what I mean, guys? That snake has to die right die. One of the two... But that snake has to die. And I may have to blow a hole in the drywall, but that snake's got to die. Are we willing to kill it? Or do we just want to put it in a cage and say, well, we'll only let it out at night after mom and dad go to bed? Who's on watch here? And so the devil seeks to immobilize us. There's a persistent assault against fathers and against husbands. You're a target to be debilitated and he wants to he didn't have to destroy you. He just needs to immobilize you. Satan doesn't mind if you're coming to church. He doesn't mind as long as you don't read your Bible and you don't personally seek transformation and purity. As long as you don't teach your children the Scriptures and the principles of God. As long as you think, well, the church will do that for me. As long as you don't seriously commit to spiritually serving your wife and your children. Satan doesn't mind you being just a really great servant at church just as long as you're not a servant to your family. Because you can wear the mask at church. But your wife and kids know what really happens at home. And so we think about the purpose. Steve and I were talking about this on the way over. The purpose of a father. You know, children children will come into a Bible class at age two or three and they've never ever heard about God. Steve and I deal with that all the time at Purdue. They don't know who God is. You want to start with authority? Their question is, who is God? And so they come, and and you tell this two and three year old, well, God is our father. They're terrified. Is he like my dad? Does he never provide for us? Is he always gone? Is he always with somebody else? Is he mean? Is he cruel? Does he beat on my wife? God is my father? You see, the great privilege we have as men, as husbands and fathers, is to give our children an early step up to see the beauty, the goodness, the kindness, the mercy, the grace and the strength of a God who loves us and tells us what we need to hear because He cares about us and because He wants to lift us and carry us home. That's the great privilege that men are given to portray the Father in heaven. And to show the same kind of characteristics to our children, to our wife, that we're seeing about the God of heaven. And our two or three year old little girl, what does it sound like when God is our father? Is he like my daddy? And so as we think about all those things, you know, dads, we can be really good with rules. (laughs) And I used to be a machine, I still sometimes do this, 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 this. And the kids are just, whoa, Dad, wait, wait, wait. Rules without relationships breed rebellion. We can, as dads, just be thumbs down. We can just drive our kids. Do you know what? a Colossians says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Well, we, as dads, we know how to push buttons, don't we? We know exactly what button to push to, to drive our children away. We can pile on the rules, but what our kids want to see is they want to see rules that are protective, rules that are helpful, rules that are going to strengthen, and rules that are bred based on relationship. Because I'm your dad. And so that's just a really important thing for us to remember. And so as we consider those matters, we need to think about children as a... Great investment. Talking to an investment advisor last week, saying, well, yeah, it's an investment, all right. I'm spending all my money on it. No, that's not the kind of investment we're thinking about. We need to teach our children, invest in them to serve the family, to serve their parents, even serve their brothers and sisters, and to serve the older folks. Boy, fall's a great time to do that, isn't it? Any of you have gutters? I'm not talking about living in the gutter. I'm talking about the leaves that live in the gutter. Could could you guys get a party together and go to every widow in the congregation and make sure she's gutter clean? Could you get all the leaves up? You ever do walnuts? Aren't those nasty things? You know those walnuts. Don't throw them with the other guy. You pick them up and you take them and you get them out of that person's yard. Wouldn't that be a great service project? Teach your children how to work, how to provide for. You know some people will buy black walnuts. So it might even be an investment for you. Teach them how to work and teach them how to provide. And don't enable them as lazy and slothful. I think the Bible says something about working and eating. I think it says something like, if you don't work, you don't eat. Two-year-olds can do chores. Two-year-olds can take trash, at least to the trash container in the kitchen. You may not want them taking them outside. Two-year-olds can have chores, and twelve-year-olds ought to have plenty. If you eat on my table, you work. My dad had made a simple, I love to have long hair. I used to have hair. you know, And I like to have long hair. And he just gave me this short little speech. He said, as long as you put your feet under my table, you cut your hair the way I tell you. Guess who got a haircut? I've always loved to eat. And so there's just that principle that I'm in my father's home, I'm going to do what he says, I want to eat, and he has certain requirements in that regard. I had to hoe the corn. We did the garden, did the paper route, mowed people's yard. It was a great growing up, but we were expected to work. I know it's a little harder culturally today, and I know sometimes when we live out in the country, it's a little harder. But fathers, your children are looking for you to provide answers to life's most important questions. Your children want to know some things. They want to know things like, who is God? They want to know things like, who am I, really? Who, who am I? Am I loved? Do I have what it takes? And what is my purpose in life? especially boys, key on their dad for those answers. Stu Weber, the Green Beret, said it takes a man to make a man. I'm not sure about that. I think Lois and Eunice did a pretty good job with Timothy. But as we think about those kind of things, children learn values from their dad. They learn their worth from their dad. So whether you're married or not, or you have children or not, we're going to invite you to take a challenge here in regard to some resolutions. You know, signing a resolution is really easy. But living it's just way different. And so as we think about this, I'd like you to consider some resolutions. I, I wanted to bring extra copies of these. Be glad to share them with you electronically. You can have the PowerPoint. But just walk through these with me, if you will, momentarily. I do solemnly resolve before God to take full responsibility for myself, my wife, and my children. I will love them, protect them, serve them, and teach them the Word of God as the spiritual leader of my home. I will be faithful to my wife to love and honor her and be willing to lay down my life for her as Jesus Christ did for me. I will bless my children and teach them to love God with all of their hearts, all of their minds, and all of their strength. I will train them to honor authority and live responsibly. Let's come up for air and take a break. Just think about it, dads. My back seems to bow a little more with three grandchildren on there at the same time. But sure was fun when the girls were little. Just those times of joy, the wrestling. I have a grandson. It's dad's, it was a marine captain. And Logan says, hey, grandpa, let's fight. That's great fun. As long as he's three, it doesn't hurt so bad. I'm hoping he doesn't say the same thing when he's 13. But just that time with your children, the touching, the listening, the wrestling, the crying, the laughing, rolling around in the leaves, all of those things that take time, such a great blessing. But as a father and as a grandfather, I will confront evil, pursue justice, and love mercy. I will pray for others and treat them with kindness Respect and compassion. I will work diligently to provide for the needs of my family. And guys, it may mean three jobs. As I think back in the early years in Greenwood, I worked as an evangelist, but also drove a school bus, Center Grove Schools. Also mowed grass, did landscape work, lawn care work one day a week, had three jobs. Had hungry little girls. Needed to provide. May require three jobs. May require delivering pizza. May require not getting as much sleep as you'd like. Dads provide as best they can for their family. And probably this one's even harder. I will forgive those who have wronged me and reconcile with those I have wronged. That reconciliation is a challenge, isn't it? Forgiving people who wronged us for so long is really, really hard, but absolutely essential for our spiritual well-being. I will learn from my mistakes, repent of my sins, and walk with integrity as a man answerable to God. I see a big, tall, strapping man walking down with tears flowing in a western state just probably two years ago. We were walking through these resolutions and he had a daughter who was rebellious against the Lord and rebellious against her parents. And this man was just absolutely broken. He was trying to be a man of integrity. He had tried to teach his children. He loved his children. And his daughter had walked away from God. I want to say to you parents, I know the perfect father and he had two sons who were estranged from their father. One was prodigal. And one seemed to be lost at home. And yet God continued to love them and always keep the light on and the door unlocked so that they could come home. So let's be people of integrity. Let's speak truth. Let's do what's right. And let's tell our children when they're not serving God, you're not serving God. And I cannot approve of that. But let's always longingly look for and anticipate their return. First to Him and perhaps to us. So I will seek to honor God, to be faithful to His family, the church, and to obey His Word and do His will. I will courageously work with the strength God provides to fulfill this resolution for the rest of my life. Are those resolutions you're willing to sign? Put in that frame and stick them right there where your family can see them every day. There's a little feller, John Luke. That's his name. But you know, that's almost six years old. Because he's six years old and he's in first grade now. And my, the opportunities that have already gotten by me have already escaped. And so as we think about that, am I falling asleep at the wheel? You know, some people are going to hear this and, and they're going to just scoff. Some men will hear it and they'll agree, but they'll have no resolve to live it out. Instead, they'll live for themselves and waste the opportunity to leave a godly legacy with the next generation. But there's some men who, regardless of the mistakes of the past, regardless of what our Father did or did not do for us, will give the strength of our minds and our bodies the rest of our lives in loving God and teaching our children to do the same dad died of Parkinson's disease and just about three or four weeks before he died, somebody came to see him. He spent the last six weeks in a nursing home. And his mind was getting fuzzy. And he came in and somebody that knew him said, do you know who I am? He said, I'm sorry, I don't. But I know Jesus. My dad taught me to love God. He taught me to talk to anybody and everybody who would consider Jesus. I love my dad. And I just love to one day be as good as him. I'm walking toward God. And so as we think about those things, are we going to turn our hearts to our children? Children, are we going to turn our hearts to the fathers? Can we be those people that God looked for? Will we, whenever possible, help love and mentor others who have no father in their lives, but who desperately need help and direction? So who will respond to these resolutions when asked? Who will teach my son and daughter to follow Christ? Who will provide for and protect my family? Who will break the destructive patterns in my family's history? And who will pray for and bless my children? Men, will you respond, I will. I am their father. will you do it? Will you be resolved? Will you be courageous? Surely you can see the influence of that movie in these resolutions. We will be those kind of men. I will accept this responsibility and embrace it as a privilege given from God. And so we invite you. We invite you tonight to do the hard stuff. And probably none of us need to, quote, come down front. You're not going to read that in the Scriptures. But probably a whole lot of us need to confess our sins to one another. And pray for one another. That there can be healing. And probably there needs to be a band of brothers. Grandpas and dads and sons who band together to say, we are going to fight the devil and that snake is going to die in our house and we're going to let Satan run our life anymore and we need to confess and we need to pray and we need to hold each other accountable. That's what it's going to take to be the men that God wants us to be to point our children and protect our wife, and show them the Lord. Thank you so much for considering. Let's not just confess it. Let's do some repenting if we need to. Probably all of us need to. If you're not in Christ, we'd encourage you to come to Him. He's the great healer. He's the one who can restore. He's the one who forgives. He's the one who can make a family whole. And once you rely on Him as you trust Him? as you obey Him, as you turn to Him, as you confess Him every day the rest of your life, as Lord of your life, and you're buried with Him in baptism, rising to a new life. Won't you do that even now as we stand and sing?